0: Love, talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the bibliophiles,
0: Hey, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, Dr. Ken. So nice to see you. I can't believe it's Wednesday again.
0: Yeah, it comes after Monday and Tuesday.
2: <laughs> it it almost feels like um same time next year, but it's same time next week.
0: Indeed. Like it all the
2: Wednesdays are like put strung together and there's no in between time.
0: Yeah, I just saw you yesterday, last Wednesday, right?
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, I'm excited. We're going to talk to two winners last week. It's the first time ever that we've had uh, two winners, and they both start with M and L.
2: I know. I was, you know, I cannot believe I didn't notice that, but when uh, our Blog Talk radio producer emailed the blog uh, posting and he pointed that out, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So and we have Michael, yeah. Michael
0: Lane, uh, who wrote... Uh, uh, in the fiction category uh a uh, pretty cool book uh set set in New Orleans and then uh, we've got Morgan Lawrence uh, you want to tell us what that book's about
2: Oh well gosh you know what I I would rather have him explain it himself because um he's actually in the chat room with us tonight so uh I'm really excited that he's actually here with us live and um maybe we can what do you think about starting with him
0: Sure That'd be great. Um, uh, he didn't call in, but Morgan, uh,
2: yeah, I know you're listening. I, uh, he, he's asking us right now. Let me know when to call in. So I'm going to say, call in now. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Well, and, yeah. and this is, we're on we're on blurb uh, on uh, Blog Talk Radio, and uh, let's tell him a little bit uh, what a blurb is.
2: A blurb is <clears throat> how any anything that you can tell us about your book that will make us, you know, perk up and listen something that will really excite us. Think back of the book. Think, uh, you know, cover copy. Anything that will make us really be excited to write your book you want to tell us about, um, you know, maybe – the main plot the characters or if it's a nonfiction, you know tell us what's in it for us what, what kind of problems can you solve for us what's going to make the reader excited about opening up and, and reading your book give us give us the nuggets the benefits all the benefits that your book is going to bring to the reader because that's really why somebody reads a the book they don't read the book because you tell us that the book is great or that the book is going to you know explain this or that you, you read it because you want to know what you're going to get out of it do you agree with that
0: Oh, I think so. Um, I, you know, it, it's all about uh, uh in the industry, uh can you can you tickle my fancy? Can you uh, uh make me excited about uh what you've got to sell me?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And we've we've put together a a, a list of Four simple criteria that we've decided to um, judge these blurbs by, and those are bling, clarity, information, and delivery. So we really want you to use a lot of bling in your blurb and be clear about uh, what you're what you're discussing, so that we know what your book is about. Give us the information and and deliver it well, and you've got a winning blurb.
0: And uh, people can visit our website at blurbradio.com. There's a whole bunch of information on how to record and how to submit your blurbs. And today we've gotten a whole bunch of uh, submissions, and uh, I'm happy to report that uh, three of those blurbs that were submitted today are going to be appearing on the show, uh, two of them in the psychology category, something that's new for us on the show.
2: Oh, fantastic. Well, that's right up my alley. And um, speaking of alley, I see that one of our winners is actually on the air with us, and maybe we can get him on on live with us.
0: Morgan, you there? Good evening. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, So we've got Morgan Lawrence on the line. Tell us a little bit about your uh, award-winning book.
2: Are you there, Morgan? I think we lost him. Oh, no.
0: There we are. Can you hear me? Now we can hear you. Tell us a little about your award-winning book.
3: Uh, the book is basically based on true events uh, as a deputy sheriff paramedic in the early 70s when the uh, the paramedic program was brand new then. There were seven of us in the entire country, so there was no backup. You were on your own when you were out there, and uh, the equipment was not nearly as advanced as it is today, so a lot of the situations in the book are... Um, very educational for people who are in the field as well as people who are not in the field. The, the, the situations show you just how far uh, some of the team went in the early days to, uh, to keep people alive in really, really bad situations.
0: So what, what does that mean? I mean, uh, some of us have seen the inside of an emergency room, but describe it for folks that uh, haven't had the uh, experience of, of seeing the emergency room in, in action.
3: Well, the emergency room in action is three layers of treatment. There are the doctors who make the decisions. There are the team leaders. There are the nurses who assist them who are the crucial hands and supply line. And there are the paramedics who are responsible for taking you from your crashed car, treating you, stabilizing you on the sea, and then getting you, to the doctor as quickly as possible. Now some that sounds easier than it than it really is because sometimes you might be thirty five miles from the closest hospital or even farther. Uh so we may take you by land unit or we may call a helicopter and fly you in. But uh when you when you're in a really serious trauma situation, uh we'll plug in dual sixteen needles uh, in the each arm wide open, large bore IVs, start a lot of fluids in there, get the volume back up, use what medications to keep your heart going, uh, and do whatever else we have to do to um, keep you alive until the doctors can get you on the table and fix you. Um, There are a number of things in the book that are very graphic.
2: Now, Something that really impressed me was when I read about the fact that you actually perform tracheotomies on people.
3: Um, yeah, I, I think my first tracheotomy was on a five-year-old in the middle of an intersection who had been hit by a truck and it crushed his face completely in. Uh, and we didn't have a trach tube for a child that small. So what we ended up using was a plastic soda straw uh, for a trach tube, which worked very well.
2: My goodness, my goodness. And he survived.
3: And uh, 18 months later... Um, they completely had rebuilt his face and jawline and uh used hyperbaric chambers to rebuild the tissue loss and the child looked actually better after they got done with him at the end than he did before <laughs> you couldn 't tell you'd ever been in a crash
0: That's well and it's 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 very personal to me um I was in a terrible car accident uh with my father uh in two thousand one and uh I, I recall uh uh what quick work they had to perform on him. I I heard it happening next door uh, when I was uh, uh, laying on a bed myself. And it was just extraordinary the way they handled me with care and the way that uh, uh, they took care of him in a a very uh, uh, horrible situation. It's amazing how quickly and how uh, passionately those people work. And I recall going back uh, a couple weeks later and tracking down the fellow that had sat with me uh when i was uh, listening to my father in the next room and telling him you know thank you so much for saving uh, my father's life and for sitting with me it's it's something that um he said to me well you know we don't often get told uh, thank you um but for sure it's it's something that's on people's minds that's very true and
3: and it's nice occasionally when a family will come you know come up to us at Cause we're usually, uh, we, as, you, as soon as we give off the patient to the trauma team and, and brief them on what it is, we get out of their way and take the stuff outside. And, and as soon as we can turn the unit around, restock it, clean it and hit the street, we're gone because we're going to be needing another call. So usually the family never gets to, to meet or see us or anything like that. And that's, you know, it, it's kind of nice, but, uh, One of the things in the book that you kind of touched on in your your description there is the trip down the hall. And I I describe it in the book. It's sort of like a very poetic exchange dance between us and the doctors and nurses where we're exchanging information back and forth. 32-year-old meal, GSW to the belly, bleed out, uh, dual 16s in, d five ringers running uh one pump on the on the right end one m s given his b p s are blown on the right side, left side's clean uh we writing that in the book was very difficult because I had to take away from some of the actual conversation and make it a little more generic so people would understand what we were talking about, but that dance is what saves people lives
2: now gosh, it sounds like you could almost have been a doctor yourself
3: well. Um, after I did my stint as a paramedic, I went back to medical school and was a uh, physician's assistant, traumatologist for another twenty years. So, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> wow. And, and, and what what made you um, you know? There's really, uh, from what I know, there's not many books that really uh, get into this experience. Um, what made you want to write this book?
3: That's probably the best question I've been asked so far. Um, I had so much experience at different levels of trauma that I was sharing with people that uh, I had met a couple of journalists who said, man, you really need to write a book because the stuff that you've been through and you've seen would be, you know, just loved, eaten up out there. And um, I believed it. So I took my uh, Samsonite suitcase full of pictures and reports and started putting it together i sat on it for five years before i actually sent it out to to be published
0: so tell us more about uh... the book it's called the streets ran red uh... and we're speaking of course with author morgan lawrence tell us more about the book and where folks can find out more about you and and all of that well the book has a website
3: by the same name the streets ran red and uh... It's available in all the major bookstores: Barnes and Noble, Walden's, uh, Books a Million, just about any bookstore can order it. You can get it from my website. You can order it online at Amazon.com, at eBay, or at AuthorHouse.com. But uh, it's it's very readily available in almost any venue and. Uh, I do travel a lot, so if you get a copy and I'm going to be in a town near you, I would absolutely love to sign any book for anyone, anywhere, anytime.
2: And how have you found your marketing efforts? What exactly have you, do you have a plan? Do you have a, sort of a, a main uh, five-point marketing plan, which is usually what people do when they decide to set out and, and uh, market their book? What, what exactly have you done to market your book, the steps that you've taken to make sure that the word gets out and the message gets out about your book?
3: well um, one part of it was the press release program that my publisher sold me, which was uh a listing of of all the places uh on the east Coast, book editors reviews and stuff like that which uh, I sent out about five hundred press releases personally uh wrote the, you know, personalized them talked to them, and sent them out and uh, that was point one and two is uh I've done about hundred and fifty shows. On BTR, on uh, different uh, different venues, but I've I've used I've you know I've done interviews on the book on here. I've also been a, a guest host on a number of different subjects, medical and psychological, on here. At which time I, I push the book uh, in the in the chat room and that sort of thing, and uh, some local. Uh, Book signings around the country and public speaking engagements and like that. Mostly, it's been uh, me by myself out there dancing around the world, uh, trying to get interest, generate interest in the book.
0: That's just like you were saying, uh, the dance around the emergency room.
3: Yes, yeah, the ballet of blood uh, that we try to uh, try to contain to a level so that uh, you're going to need that later on, and we want to make sure you get it back.
0: Sally, um, uh, I'd love to talk with you just for a second while we have him on the line. Uh, what made his blurb a winning blurb?
2: Well, I just felt that, um, you know, it, it was so riveting. The subject matter in and of itself was uh was so riveting. I mean that's the only word that's coming to my mind right now that um I wanted to read more, it created curiosity. Uh it was very clear, it had a lot of information, he delivered it well. Uh, he explained um, exactly what his book was about and why he was the person the expert that could tell this story the best. and that's something that, that really that you need as an author because almost every subject under under the Sun has been written about. but what you have to do as an author to make yourself stand out is you have to let people know why you why you are the best person to tell your story. and that is something that Morgan did very, very well.
0: Well, it's been a real honor chatting uh, with Morgan Lawrence. Uh, His book is, again, The Streets Ran Red, and uh, he's going to be chatting, I guess, uh, in the chat room for the rest of the hour.
3: I should be here. I'm not going anywhere.
0: Cool. And it's been such an honor chatting with you, and I I can't wait to, to see what you produce next and how this book does. The
3: pleasure is all mine. Thanks again for the recognition and time.
2: Congratulations, and thank you for spending the time with us tonight.
0: Thank you. Well, now I want to go on to, uh, we've got five blurbs to listen to today, and let's see if we can listen to a whole bunch of them. What do you think?
2: That sounds great. What do you want to start with?
0: I, I know. Oh.
2: <laughs> How about Shannon Cuts?
0: Okay, what do you think hers is about?
2: Well, the reason that I picked it is because Shannon and I spoke today um, over the email, and she's actually in the chat room. So
0: oh, my goodness. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Well, um, so let's... let's uh, Uh, Listen to Shannon Cutts. This is in the psychology and self-help category. Let's listen to uh, her blurb.
4: Hi, this is Shannon Cutts, author of Beating Anna, How to Outsmart Your Eating Disorder and Take Your Life Back, the first book written about the power of mentoring as an essential part of the recovery process for overcoming eating disorders. Eating disorders affect more women each year than breast cancer. In spite of the fact that more than 11 million Americans and 70 million worldwide reportedly suffer with deadly eating disorders, only a small fraction receive adequate care. Yet there is hope, and the hope that we have boils down to one simple fact, relationships replace eating disorders. I developed anorexia at 11 years old and bulimia at 18. My family's health insurance did not cover the expensive treatment needed for eating problems. I was a star musician and an excellent student, and yet I felt completely out of control on the inside where no one could see. As I got sicker, I became more and more withdrawn and isolated from those around me. When I was 19, I experienced an injury that led me into physical therapy. My therapist quickly saw that I was struggling with something much more serious. She won my trust with her caring, nonjudgmental approach, and I finally opened up to her about my fear of food and getting fat. She became my first mentor. Neither one of us knew all that much about eating disorders, but she was unintimidated by the disease that was slowly killing me. She clearly conveyed to me that to struggle is to be human, that my struggle made me stronger, not weaker, and that I was the equal of any obstacle life handed me. When I met my mentor, I found hope again. We brainstormed ways I could begin to replace my disordered eating behaviors with healthier life coping skills. Over time, my relationship with my mentor literally replaced my dependence upon my eating disorder and I finally began to let it go. In the years since my own recovery, I have mentored hundreds of women who are seeking the recovery I have achieved. Beating Anna, How to Outsmart Your Eating Disorder and Take Your Life Back is packed with 27 chapters of recovery workshop exercises, the very same exercises my mentor and I used to help me beat my eating disorder. Each chapter highlights a piece of personal correspondence from my own mentees. Introduces a practical, skills-building exercise to teach you how to combat that issue, and then closes with a life-celebration exercise designed to strengthen your mind, heart, and spirit to continue doing the hard work of recovery. As a reader of Beating Anna, you will probably be asking, well, mentoring sounds great, but how do I find a mentor of my own? This is why we have created a companion community for Beating Anna readers called Mentor Connect. Membership is free. We assist members in finding one-on-one mentoring matchups and offer weekly live support group meetings as well as many other recovery support opportunities. You may be struggling with an eating disorder, but you are not defined by your disease. You are unrepeatable, irreplaceable, unique, and so worth fighting for. My mentor taught me this, and today I turn around and pass the hope she ignited in me on to you. If I could beat my eating disorder and take my life back, you can
0: too. Well, what do you think, Sally?
2: Well, I think she did a, an absolutely wonderful job with that, with that blurb. I mean, to me, it had all the elements in it. It was it was clear. It had information. She delivered it well, and she she told her own story, and so she she described why she was the perfect person, why she was the expert to to tell this story. And not only did she tell the story, but then she went on to actually create a solution. And she uh, has established Mentor Connect, a free membership site to help people uh, so that they can go on and find their own mentors. And she's actually using her expertise to help the world because what I tell people is really the only two things that you need to have to create a a winning book, a a best-selling book, is basically you need to have a passion for your topic and you need to have a sincere desire to help people. And Shannon Cuts has both of those things. I think she did a marvelous job, an absolutely fantastic job. Congratulations.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, unfortunately, um, it broke up a little bit and was kind of soft. Uh, but, again, uh, this show is not about technical beauty. Uh, it's about uh, content and about uh, uh, whether it, it, it really uh, says what it needs to say because, Whether you're speaking over the telephone or in person to someone or whether, uh, um, you know, whether it's beautiful or whatever, the most important thing is to get across the point that you need to get across and make people fall in love with your book.
2: Indeed, indeed. Um, Yeah, I just thought thought that was an excellent, excellent blurb and uh, can help so many young people. A couple of my friends, as I was growing up, suffered from a couple of those diseases. And, you know, young people absolutely need help, and they need mentors, and this book is, is going to be a godsend. So um, it's great that, uh, that she has created um, this book and this organization, and I think she's a wonderful job.
0: So let's listen to um, another uh, psychology uh, book, uh, another blurb, sorry, uh, from Leslie Davenport uh, in the psychology category.
5: Talk Radio. Hi, this is Leslie Davenport and as a psychotherapist for the last 20 years, I've seen so often how even with reasonably successful careers and relationships, many of us live with an underlying distress, a vague lack of meaning or satisfaction in our lives. It's as if we live impoverished spiritually and emotionally, not realizing we have gold coins in our own pockets. And I'm passionate about introducing how easily accessible that gold is. It's a perennial source of wisdom and guidance found within our own hearts. This valuable inner resource has been recognized in all cultures and eras. And yet, it's so undervalued and underutilized in our contemporary Western society. And that's why I wrote my new book, Healing and Transformation Through Self-Guided Imagery. It's basically a treasure map to finding your inner wisdom. It also offers very tender stories from 12 people who share their experience of using this approach with concerns such as relationship crisis, cancer, financial distress. And when we tap into this source of wisdom, it is as practical as it is mysterious. It awakens our eyes to see freshly the subtle aspects and the soulful aspects of living a fully human life. It helps us see new possibilities that had been blocked from our view. So whether someone is seeking guidance for a current crisis or reflecting on a significant life transition or just deepening gratitude in day-to-day moments, I hope you will join me in learning to see with the eyes of your heart.
0: Well, that was a very um, um, measured way of delivering the blurb, which I appreciated. Uh, her voice was soothing, and uh, just uh, when she started speaking, I, I already knew what her book was about to some extent.
2: Yeah, you know, she did a wonderful job of, of matching her message. It kind of reminds me of when when I learned about, you know, um, you know, in the media, how you're supposed to dress for TV. They always tell you, you know, your dress should match your message, well, it was interesting because her voice, the quality of her voice matched her message. I just felt that it was just a really uh, it was a it was in alignment. <laughs> I thought she did a wonderful job because she was talking about the whole meditative process and you know spiritually and emotionally coming together and the gold coins in our pockets and perennial source of wisdom and guidance in our hearts and all this is is, is wonderful stuff and it's the stuff that all these books are, are about that are coming out and being touted as number one bestsellers all about you know the the books that are out now such as ask it and it's given and um uh, of uh, what, what is the book by esther and jerry hicks that just came out that i can never remember the title of but all of this stuff about um the power of your subconscious mind and and uh, it's just all about the inner wisdom and, you know, the secret and getting in tune with your inner guidance. And she had the perfect voice for this particular topic. So I think she did a really good job with that blurb.
0: Absolutely. And I'm psyched to hear another one. Let's listen to um, um, Thomas and Gerard Caraccioli. Um, I'm excited about theirs because I already know uh, – uh, what the topic of it is. Uh, are you excited for this one?
2: I am, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little surprised because I've actually forgotten what the topic of their book is.
0: All right, well, this is in the nonfiction category. Here we go. Thomas and Gerard Caraccioli.
2: Love, Hope, Radio.
6: Boycott, Stolen Dreams of the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games. On the third day of the track and field competition of the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games, All eyes turned to the long-awaited showdown in the 800-meter race. The race pitted two of the world's top middle-distance runners who hadn't raced against each other in two years, British world record holder Sebastian Coe against his fellow countryman Steve Ovette. While Coe and Ovette, along with six others, towed the line for the start of what was billed as one of the classic showdowns of these Olympic Games, Don Page moved away from the television set in his family's home in Ballinsville, New York, and sat alone outside in his parents' backyard. Age's thoughts were filled with what might have been had the United States not decided to boycott the games. As the race began, a congested pack of runners on the first lap produced plenty of crowding, bumping, and lead changes. With continued jockeying for position throughout the race, Ovette met the challenge of Cole and others to capture the gold. After the race ended, the father of America's most celebrated half-miler joined his son in the backyard. My dad came out and told me, Evo Vette outkicks Fashion Co., remembered Paige almost 30 years later. And then he said, boy, I would have loved to have seen you in that race. He wasn't the only one. Written by identical twin brothers Tom and Jerry Caracoli, with a forward by Vice President Walter F. Mondale, "Boycott: stolen dreams of the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games, chronicles the events and times surrounding the United States boycott of the 1980 Olympic Summer Games, and tells the stories of athletes who became pawns in a political chess match between superpowers. Critically acclaimed, here's what the Wall Street Journal had to say about boycott. Tom and Jerry Caracoli's book, Boycott, Stolen Dreams of the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games, profiled 18 Olympians who would have competed in those games. Of these elite athletes, two stand out, one for his eloquence and introspection and one for his continued anger regarding the boycott. Swimmer Craig Beardsley's contemplative musings about the great greater meaning past and present of the boycott serve as a narrative touchstone throughout. As a stark counterpoint, wrestler Gene Mills exudes a caustic bitterness that still consumes him. The strength of boycott is in the Caracoli brothers' methodical presentation of the complicated events leading up to boycott. To their credit, the authors themselves don't directly weigh in on the inevitable question, was it worth it? Rather, they allow the five to ten pages allotted to each of their featured athletes to do the talking. Boycott is available through orders on amazon.com and boycottbook.com.
0: Well, I, I there was a lot of information there.
2: Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. That that's an amazingly emotional topic. And I just got chills. I thought it was just incredibly, incredibly emotional. Just Zoom, it brought us back like almost 30 years and just feeling what those athletes must have felt. My gosh, I mean, it just makes me want to run out and buy that book.
0: Yeah, and uh, one thing that we often criticize blurbs for is not filling in the gap with um, little teaser stories. And that was a great thing there was that he brought us into the book. He brought us already into this um uh, uh, um, this world that they've created with their book. Uh, they're they're talking about characters uh, from this 1980 boycott, um, and he he brought us into the story.
2: Yeah, and I love the little the little part about how you know he left the TV and went sitting on the porch and just completely didn't watch it, and then his dad came out and oh wow, it just you can just imagine how that must have felt. You know the emotion between the father and the son and. And and the athlete himself, and yeah, I just thought it was was wonderfully done. What a great concept for a book. And then not just writing the whole book themselves, but actually chronicling 18 athletes that had their dreams stolen from them. And so they were able to express in their own words how they felt about the whole experience.
0: You know, another thing I liked about it is he also um, revealed that he and his brother are um, identical twins, and uh, and then he he went and actually uh, read some of the praise uh, about the book, which which is good. You know, I think uh, uh, you know, with saying that the foreword was written by Walter Mondale, which is a big name, and then saying um, you know, reading the praise about the book, I you know, he he got our attention.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was um, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a blurb, you got to put yourself out there, and you got to let you know. Toot your own horn if, if something great has been said about your book, let let us know about it. You know it kind of reminds me of you know if you've got fifteen to 20 seconds to catch someone's ear in an elevator, you know you've got to give them the uh, the good stuff up front and uh, let us but, but here on blurb we have three minutes, which is an eternity uh, in terms of an elevator speech, so uh, that is absolutely something that should be included if, if you got something like that then then you've got to put it in there. Let people know.
0: Well, I'm excited to um, listen to a couple more blurbs here, and we're doing well today. Uh, we've listened to three. And got uh, next? Yeah, we've got uh, a couple left. I think we should listen to uh, Renee Fisher uh, in the women's category.
2: Sounds great.
0: All right, let's listen.
7: Love Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Renee Fisher, co-author of Invisible No More, The Secret Lives of Women Over 50. Somewhere around age 50, my body started ejecting its parts. And had anyone ever told me while I was hobbling out of the bathroom with my legs tightly pressed together that I would one day be sharing my story with the world, there would have been no possibility that I would have believed it. Fast forward several years to 2005 when 2 postmenopausal friends and I were doing what we do best, just hanging out, eating, laughing, and complaining about our memory gone and our body parts that were headed south. While we talked about the unfairness of it all, we asked for the 10,000th time why it was that nobody ever told us what would happen to us. And uh, I think that's when lightning struck. If no one ever told us, we would at least tell others That's really when Invisible No More, The Secret Lives of Women Over 50, was born. We would tell the truth about life over 50, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hilarious. We would also tell about the hope, the joy, the wisdom, the fun. We would tell it all because we declared that we would never be invisible again. We would share our lives with the world. We love that we are neither psychologists sociologists, nor well-known actresses. We are real women with real lives. We are you. We chose 15 topics covering the gamut of physical surprises, sex, relationships, memory loss, faith and spirituality, reinvention. We even covered tattoos. Each one of us wrote about each topic. We wrote about our mothers, and we wrote about breast cancer. I wrote, of course, about my body parts falling out. Jean wrote about her alcoholism. Joyce wrote about her father's sexual abuse. While we wrote, we relived the most painful memories possible. We allowed ourselves to have thoughts we had suppressed, said out loud what had never been said, and found ourselves growing stronger with every word written on every page. Thousands of books sold, and thousands of women later, we decided to do it again. Invisible No More was about us. We would write a book about you, the reader. That's how Saving the Best for Last, Creating Your Life After 50, came about. That book, due to be published in the spring, has new chapters on money, loss, and friendship. We made the book Interactive and we formatted it in a way that women could do it alone or in groups. We invite the reader to come on this great journey with us, and we give her the tools to do so. So, if you want to reinvent your life, or just find out if I managed to save my body parts, you'll have to read the book. And if you want to keep up with our ongoing adventures, visit us at www.invisiblenomore.com dot com
0: well, it was beautifully um let's say i uh, we call it bling on the show um I like to talk about edge um memorable uh you know there were graphic images in there that weren't necessarily beautiful, but that's the point um what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was especially touching to me, and I, you know, I'm not shy about my age, but <laughs> I'm going to be fifty in about eight years. This is always getting me a little bit nervous, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, but I mean, really, it was um, it was very, very interesting to me, and the whole thing ran the gamut, you know, sex, relationships, memory loss, and reinvention, tattoos, breast cancer, body parts falling out, alcohol, alcoholism, and sexual abuse. And it's just interesting because it just brings to the, the forefront of the mind that, you know, you never outlive your childhood. This is just you are you and you're part of yourself and you have to deal with these things at some point. And it was wonderful that these women through this book were able to reinvent and heal and move forward and grow stronger and connect and touch so many lives. So... I thought it was an absolutely fantastic concept for a book.
0: Well, and um, she had me, uh, let's say, with every word she said. um, It was so beautifully put, um, so clear, until very close to the end. And I got confused um, because she presented her new book, but at the beginning she presented her old book. So that was a little confusing for me and I wonder what you think.
4: Hmm.
2: Well, you know, it sounded to me as though she um was it was like the second book in the series or perhaps it was um new chapters. She did mention that there were new chapters, so it's possible that it was the same book that was just updated. But you're right, it was confusing. And, you know, there was one thing in there, and you know I'd like your opinion on this, that they kind of a little bit turned me off, just a tiny bit, because in the media we've always been taught never to say uh, the three little words in my book. You're never supposed to say that, and you're never supposed to withhold information and say, well, you've got to read my book to find out. Because, you know what, you can never tell a person everything that's in your book, you should always give a few little uh, things and nuggets. And when she said, well, to find out if I saved my body parts, you're just going to have to read my book. And I know it was kind of a cute little thing, but it was still a little tiny bit of a, I don't know, something that I might might necessarily have been a little bit um, turned off by a tiny bit.
0: Which was, again, at the end. Um, Yeah. And I think... um, uh, she might well have uh, uh stopped earlier. Um I don't usually say that because most folks don't go the whole 3 minutes, but uh it was so touching and so beautiful. I mean, I'm still moved by this book. Uh the the real graphic nature of the things she was saying from the very beginning. Very she pulled me right in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And uh she did a wonderful job explaining um about what her the information in her book, she was clear and she delivered it beautifully.
0: Okay, so let's, let's listen to our last blurb, last new blurb of the day. Uh, we've got one more by Christopher Misick, and this is in the other category.
1: 1.6 million Americans will likely file for bankruptcy this year. That's an average of more than 4,300 every day. The current economic situation shows few real signs of hope for families most in need of financial relief. For many the only thing that stands between total financial ruin and the opportunity to pick up the pieces of their american dream is the fresh start that bankruptcy can provide i'm christopher Misick, a bankruptcy attorney in southern california and author of the book begin again i wanted to provide consumers and clients trapped in their own financial hells a book that would offer consolation provide hope and educate them on the process of bankruptcy i care because I've been through it myself. When I was 10 years old, my parents had to file for bankruptcy after a successful business suffered in a recession. In the book, I set four simple goals for the reader. Learn the process, dispel the myths, lose the fear, begin again. Part self-help book, part legal primer, begin again is the kind of book that can help people use the law to change their lives. For most Bankruptcy in America today is not a tragedy or a sin or a failure. Bankruptcy is a beginning. You can begin again. You can find more information on me and my credentials by going to com.
0: Wow. Yeah. It was so different than the uh, previous ones. It's it's um it's almost shocking. It was uh, beautiful in its simplicity, actually.
2: It was very short, but it it described exactly uh you know who he was, what his book was about, why he's the expert, the fact that he and his family had been through it, and now that he is there to write a book and the fact that he cares, I love that he said because he cares. And that really makes the reader feel Uh, safe and makes uh, the reader feel like that he's going to be able to uh, help them with this particular issue. And it's great because he's somebody that's in the business that has probably written a book and probably helps him to grow his his business. This is the kind of the author-expert category, and he's done a great job. I think that um, he did a really nice job. The whole concept of the book is great.
0: And again, his, his voice uh, really spoke the message. Uh, uh, when he spoke, there was a real surety to it, and I would pick up the book and really believe him just hearing his voice.
2: I also like the fact that he laid out four goals for the reader, mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to catch all of them, but it was something like learn the process, dispel the myth, lose the fear. And well, I another. remember
0: lose the fear. That's the one message that uh, he, he said a couple times.
2: Yeah, and I like the fact that he said, you know, he's turning lemonade, you know, lem, lem, what am I, I? was going to say it backwards. Lemonade, <laughs> lemonade into lemon <laughs> <laughs>
7: by basically
2: calling it, um, you know, begin again. I love that because it's true. It's that, you know, you always hear these stories about um, these people that become very, very wealthy, and then they lose everything. But somehow these people know how to create wealth from nothing, and it's always a beginning and it's uh it's a it's a wonderful way to look at things
0: so and another thing we could talk about very briefly is that he he wrote a book uh that is on a very timely topic uh which is something that's very intelligent uh you know talk to what is current, and when you write your blurb, make sure it focuses on what's current we had a our, our winner a couple weeks ago. Uh, she was very much, uh, when she said that uh, everybody needs something free in these times, right, D.D. D. Divine. And oh, yeah. that was very current, and that's always a great thing to include in your blurb.
2: Yep, especially in these tough financial times. And, you know, the other thing that I really liked about his blurb is that he he took the shame out of it because there is a stigma attached to bankruptcy, and he took the shame out of it. You know, he said it's, uh, it's, 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 um, I, I can't remember his exact words, but not a, not a tragedy or a sin, but a not beginning. Not a tragedy
0: or a failure. Yeah.
2: So I really I really like that about it. He has he has compassion, and uh, it's a very uplifting way to to look at things, and and uh, I liked it.
0: All right. Well, that's we've listened to all of our new blurbs for the week, and uh, I'm psyched. We're, we're going to have a difficult decision, uh, and last week, of course, we had a super difficult decision, and uh, we ended up kind of copping out and, and deciding on two people because we just couldn't decide between them. Uh, we wanted to choose somebody that had the initials ML, and there were two of them, and we couldn't decide.
2: <laughs> That's right, and our producer uh, uh, couldn't decide who to uh, put first in the uh, featured author because they both had the same initials. So I don't know what he did about that, but you know we're very lucky because Michael Lane is, is on the line with us now. I think, shall, shall we speak with him?
0: Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, I'm excited uh, to hear what he has to say. Uh, You don't by chance know what his area code is, do you? We've got several callers.
2: I believe it's a 316.
0: All right, well, let's try it. Let's see if this is Michael Lane. Michael, are you there? I am online
8: with you, and it is this evening a 316 area code. That's correct.
0: Well, it's good to speak with you. Congratulations uh, on uh, your award-winning book here. Oh, wow.
8: Oh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to connect with uh, both of you this evening.
0: Thanks for being here. And tell us, tell us about your book, uh, The Wisdom of Yadi Rum. I'll say that the the reason we, we connected with it, uh, uh, it's so very different than the other book we chose. Uh, we talked to Morgan Lawrence earlier mm-hmm. in the show, and it's a fiction uh, book. It's a novel, but it's based in New Orleans, and that's part of the, the great acclaim that your book has had. Uh, what, what got you into it?
8: right well you know um, it, that's really that was the probably the most prestigious award from the Independent Publishers Association the fact that it won Best Regional Fiction because of the depiction of the culture of New Orleans and I worked in and out of the New Orleans uh, South Louisiana area and the salt business for many many years and had a great aunt and an uncle who lived in the French Quarter and so I connected with the culture and the experience and the energy that the, that the quarter really is and uh, shoot I wanted write since I was really a teenager and have done a lot of short story work but hadn't attempted anything like this until this idea came to me to put this story together around uh, really what's a blend of memoir and fiction, Uh, this old New Orleans jazz musician and and the wisdom that flows out of a life steeped in that rich black culture that, that, that is so much a part of what New Orleans is all about and has to offer.
0: And what give us uh we of course heard the blurb uh, uh last week but tell us uh, this character Yandi Rum I love when you talk about how this guy came to you
8: Oh you know uh boy there are just so many musicians who were a part of the development of the music that reaches back to really uh Louis Armstrong's birth around the turn of the century uh, you know the 1900 in terms of 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 um, their, their connection with the New Orleans music that was a blend of the energy that came from the African-American uh, slavery uh, issue and the energy that came from their music mixing with this steamy culture of New Orleans and European music structure that was really the birth of jazz. And and Yachty Rum, more than anything, is the personification of a number of these old musicians who are just so full of life and so full of energy and yet, their wisdom flows not out of high-mindedness, but really simplicity. And you know, I just—I got a letter from the other uh, the other day from a fellow who runs a, a jazz clinic out of Portland. And and it, it, the synopsis of his letter says, "Michael, I am so awed by the gifts of your book and its message. Of course, we all need the kind of encouragement, the kind that Yadi gives so kindly to the Mike in the book, but." You put your finger on the beating pulse of the caring heart and it is so strongly exemplified by Yadi's masterful teaching. I mean... Holy cow, I wish I could write a sentence that would flow like that. But that was his letter, and it was amazing. He goes on, just briefly, it says, My own life is a bit challenging, but full of hope and promise. I keep searching for ways to be more effective, and reading your book has been very helpful and comforting. these reminders throughout the book were very applicable to my own process, and I can easily imagine them being real for so very many people. And and it's New Land Jazz out of Portland, uh, Oregon. What's his name that you're?
2: Is that person that wrote that book? His
8: name is, and I'll turn the sheet over here, um, his name is Jim Corcoran. And Jim is a, a national jazz coach. Jim, Jim works with jazz musicians, developing jazz musicians, to help them understand that in their life, regardless of where they are, no one is going to ride in on a white horse and save them. That you you lift yourself up out of, at times, your own self-pity or your struggles, and you grab a hold of that thing inside you. And and the thing that I tried to do as much as anything with the book The Wisdom of Yadi Rum... Was to say how. And I mean, so often people tell us in our lives, well, you need to pay attention to this or pay attention to that, you know, but they never tell us how to do that. And that connection of the, the just this idea, this musical idea of Largo um, that comes out of Yachty's wisdom, that's really the idea Largo musically means to play slowly, huh? If we're trying to change something in our lives, the only way we can do it is when we slow down. So Largo is that analogy for what needs to happen for us to change. And in Jim's case of his letter, he's working with jazz musicians who are so antsy, they're so carried up in what they're doing, they're so hopeful in what's going to happen, and yet they're so tense that they don't see the real opportunity for learning.
0: I love that concept you're talking about, uh, Largo. Um, both, uh, both Sally and I actually have backgrounds in music.
8: Uh, oh, awesome. Awesome.
7: And-
0: yeah and uh but it's so uh it's great to hear people uh, in the literary world uh, uh use these concepts. How how did you get into uh uh deciding to use some of these concepts and uh have you always been into jazz and and all that?
8: uh you know, played the guitar since I was a teenager and uh and had have and have and I'm not a natural musician, you know maybe you and Sally just connect with it. some people do for me it's been a struggle but as as I've done that, when I come back to simple music theory. I can stay focused, you know, so like Largo works for me there, and I think it's just I think it's fun to reach into one art and pull the wisdom from it into another, so you pull the wisdom from the world of music that a lot of people aren 't necessarily accustomed with and bring it into a book, you know I mean the idea of d c alfine huh you know music d c stands for del Capo alfine, to the end, so musically d c alfine means go back. To the head of the music and play through till the end. Well, in our lives, if we're trying, if we're really struggling with a situation, it could be, it could be a relationship, it could be a personal dilemma, it could be a personal challenge, it could be something at work, it could be something we're trying to achieve. D.C. Alfini means if I'm trying to bring about some change, if I'll go back to the beginning and think through the current dilemma I'm in. I can often find some answers or some clues how to change, huh? Just like as you're playing a piece of music. You see you see different things when you play back through that piece of music. Works just like that in our lives. That's what I love about that musical analogy.
0: And now my my co-host uh, Sally, uh she's uh she moonlights under another name. I'm not sure which one's her real name, but uh Sarah Jane Sion is a great jazz player mm. from New York. Mhm. uh Tell us a little bit uh, why this blurb floated your boat, Sally.
2: Oh, wow. Well, I, I absolutely love the concept. I mean, I've been to New Orleans uh, doing gigs and just hearing um, hearing you, Michael, describe it and, uh, you know, finding Yachty in that little, that little I think it was outside of a church. I can't remember now because it's been a week since I mm-hmm.
7: left
2: it. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was just very, very intriguing and, of course, you know, um, just the wisdom that you know. Sometimes, like you'll go into a jazz club. I mean, my some of my heroes are, you know, you just these older black guys that, that just had no education and no musical training, and yet they'd say like one or two words. Like I used to go down to New York to um the Barry Harris uh, workshop, mm-hmm. and and he would just say say something. <laughs> that would just blow your socks off I mean, just one time I think uh, I went in there when I was 18 I had gotten a, a scholarship To uh, come down once a month And study with uh, Joanne Burkine And I went to one of these jam sessions And and uh, uh, they were playing If I Should Lose You And I was at the piano And I said, well gosh, I don't know that song And, and he just looked at me and he, with his wide eyes And says, you don't know If I lose you <laughs> Uh... Like with this hardest voice (laughs) And boy did I go home and learn that piece. I think I learned it in twelve keys. But um, it was mm-hmm. just basically the look he gave me, and that heart, that sort of look in his eyes, and the tone of his voice, and boy, you know, all I needed was that wisdom to realize that I, what I needed to do.
8: You know, Sally. So many people over the years, uh, and and through writing this book, I just can't believe I'm I'm in a, a book group here um, in Wichita, Kansas tonight. I live in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, but people will say, you know, I've been to New Orleans. I was on St. Peter Street, and my Wife and I stood in the back of Preservation Hall, and we heard that music. And I just heard it again when I read part of this. Or somebody else will tell me I was in the Navy and I was in New Orleans. Or somebody would say I'm in the oil business, and I get in on New Orleans, and I've connected with that music. And and it's there's something special, you know. There's a little section. Do I, I have time to read you just a little bit out of the book that that's a part of it that I just love that connects with what you just mentioned? Would love it. It says. <clears throat> What the scene is? I'm my character is in Preservation Hall, which is which is a location that grew out of a of an art studio where during the time of the Jim Crow laws and black musicians were banned from playing in New Orleans. This fellow named Larry Bornstein had this old art studio, and he would invite these old traditional New Orleans uh, musicians to come in and play, and then they would pass the hat and they would share it, and that's what grew into what we now know as that special place well here's the scene I'm in the hall Yachty comes to the doorway what a historic place how many musicians had performed here I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and inhaled the musty smell of wood and dried sweat. It was the smell of life, of humanity, the fragrance of people coming together to experience all it means to be human. I opened my eyes and looked down at the old cat rubbing against my pants. The old upright piano stood silently to my right. The piano keys were cracked, yellowed, and a few of the ivories were missing altogether. The varnish of the aging instrument had long since weathered from the years in the hall. I reached out late my hand on top of the piano. The old cracked surface felt dry and rough to my touch. Gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? I heard Yadi's voice behind me in the doorway. I didn't turn around. I just stood in the dimly lit room. Yadi, you love this place, I should say. But you love it for more than the building. You love it for the fellowship, for the music, for those who have come before you. Mm-hmm, that I do. Yadi, we've talked a a lot about the need for a person to find their passion and to have the confidence to set on a plan to achieve their goals and dreams. You said you had a secret. Yep. Does it deal with how to achieve your goals? Could be. More, too. More. Like, Like how to harmonize every aspect of your life? And it is? What, the secret? Yes. It's something you already know. Love it. I love New Orleans, and uh, I just really appreciate you guys inviting me to be a part and share some of this with a broader audience. Hmm?
0: Well, you know what I'd like? Um, uh, I checked out your website a little bit, and why don't you do a little self-promotion here?
8: Well, if somebody is really interested among our readers, uh, they can learn more at www.yadirum.com. And on the website, they can find some news clips uh, that have been uh, produced around the country. They can. There's even a section to listen to some of the music of New Orleans. If you're not quite familiar with this type of music and the way it is, uh, uh, there's an author interview, I believe, on the website as well. Uh, there's a lot of different things to find out about the book there. Uh, and, and more than that, there's a short book trailer that's right on the cover page of YachtyRum.com that will, will let you experience some of these musical ideas we've talked about tonight connected in a musical setting. Why don't you
0: tell wanna, people how to spell Yachty? Some people I was like going to not... say I was <laughs> going to say the same thing. Body with the Y, Y A W D
8: Y, Y A W D Y R U M dot com. Hey, can I tell you a quick story? There's an old doorman at the Conti Hotel in New Orleans. Different hotel and figures in the story of the book. His name is Dennis. And one night, early in the work on on the research in the background of the story, as I was coming and going over the course of several days, he came to me and he said,
2: "What you be doing down here?"
8: You know you come and you go like a madman. I said Dennis I'm a an author and I said I'm working on the final part of a book about an old jazz musician here in the in the New Orleans area. He says, "Yeah, and so I told him how I'd had a vision on the street one night down there, and I was not drinking that night either. And it felt like somebody was next to me, but there was not a soul when this story idea really materialized. And he looked at me, and his eyes got great big open. He said, let me tell you something. He said, y'all be walking on the streets in New Orleans. there be somebody walking right beside you, but you don't never see him, And they's tapping you on the shoulder with the ideas. I said, Dennis, are you saying there's ghosts in New Orleans? I didn't say there's no ghosts. I said there's just something special about this
3: place. <laughs>
0: New Orleans has such a beautiful feel, and um, uh, the the way that you speak about it is certainly uh, in the book as well. And uh, we we congratulate you for winning our contest and for Thank your you. other awards. And uh, um, we got to close out the show here, Sally.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, Michael, just check on that uh, book trailer because I'm clicking on it, and both Safari and uh, Firefox can't get it to work. Okay,
8: so I'll uh,
2: make sure that we can.
0: You can
6: people. Yep, yeah. I will. I will check to make sure it should be active, and uh, I'll call my web guy.